Keeping It 1000 podcast with George Carl and Adam Matas is presented with limited commercial interruption and presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, giving all players a no-brainer of an offer to celebrate football's finale. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an opportunity to double your money if a touchdown, just that's right, if a touchdown is scored in the big game. That's right. All it takes is one touchdown to be scored on Sunday night, and boom, your money is doubled. Sounds like a no-brainer. That's because it is a no-brainer. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR to get a shot at doubling your money if the touchdown is scored at Sunday's game. That's promo code DNVR. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. For uh, gambling problems, call 1-800-522-4700. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Adam Matas. In a moment, I'll be joined with George Carl. We had a fantastic conversation today among my favorite episodes of the Keeping It 1000 podcast that we've done so far. Among the topics we discussed, a lot of Nikola Jokic talk. We talked about Quinn Snyder's strategy to defend Nikola Jokic using Bogdanovich, why coaches have such a hard time game planning for Jokic, and what it's like during the regular season when you start to experiment with different strategies against teams you might play in the playoffs. We also talk about the differences between DeMarcus Cousins and Nikola Jokic. Of course, Coach Carl had DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. Talks very openly about how talented he was, but also how frustrated he was. I think at one point on Twitter, he talked about him as his least favorite player he's ever coached. And so it's interesting to hear him compare and contrast Nikola Jokic and DeMarcus Cousins. And I think Nuggets fans will find that very entertaining as well as informative. We also talk about Michael Porter Jr. and why Coach Carl is impressed with how he's handled the last couple of years and the last couple of weeks and now coming off the bench, why he thinks it's been a, a great thing for Michael Porter and the development of him uh, and his career. And then lastly, we start a brand new series where we talk about a former Denver Nuggets player that Coach Carl had in his time here in Denver, and we kick it off with one of my personal favorite Nuggets of all time, Andre Miller. You're going to look forward to that and all the other great insights that he provides on today's show. Let's get right into that interview. You know, we've gone from the beginning of the season, which has a lot of juice and what ifs. And in a very quick period of time, even though I don't think anybody's playing special, we're kind of playing, we've moved into the February doldrums. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, the first 20 and the last 20 are important. Those middle 40 are just kind of like, you know, it's like that marathon that you're running. You just got to keep your pace and keep your focus. And uh, uh, But, you know, Denver's gotten back on track, but I still don't think they're playing complete basketball. Utah game was... You can fall in love with that, but 15 out of 17, if you don't win that game, you're not you're not probably going to be very good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it is interesting, the ebbs and flows of the season so far. Um, and it feels like, I mean, maybe you can disagree with me here, but it feels like maybe the Nuggets are on, uh, you know, the upswing right now. I mean, six. it's funny, since we last spoke, Coach, the Nuggets are 6-1. and one. Jokic has won two-player the week awards in a row and that's all happened in the span from when we last talked so it does feel at least a little bit and, and even just talking to the players after games they're confident you know famously i think right after we recorded our last show nuggets get one win jamichael green's interviewed and he says i think we're on track wait hold on i know we're on track and we're going to be good and sure enough the nuggets have been good so it the doldrums, talking about the doldrums of the season, it's interesting because to me it feels like the Nuggets are more locking in and starting to get to get their their rhythm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't deny that the games have all had positive existence in it. It's, I mean, for a better phrase, it's dominance versus winning close games or right. winning games you're supposed to win. They have not had that dominant game, and Utah falls into that category. But the way the game got blown out early, kind of, you know, yeah, they should be happy with their performances. Good win, good solid, you know, reaction from a personality standpoint of 
a team that you took seven games and you wanted to make a statement. All that was really good. Uh, and, you know, there are things about the bench and the, the combinations look like they're going to work better than they were earlier in the year. Uh, you know, for me, it's just they're, they're, they're hanging on the top tier of the second tier. Right, right. And they've been hanging there for so long. It's annoying to me, I guess, is the best way to phrase it. You know, it's they've been here for three years. Uh, some people probably had higher hopes. Other people had lower hopes. But we're basically the same place we were the year they you know, lost the last game of the season, not making the playoffs. Admittedly better than what it was two weeks ago where we thought maybe they'd actually drop down a tier. Right. You, you put it in an interesting way. You said they're at the top of the second tier. I think most people, myself included, consider them at the bottom of the top tier. I know it's a maybe it's a little bit semantic distinction, but to me, it does feel like the late in the West, the Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, and Nuggets are above the other sort of conglomerate of teams. And Denver, at the moment, probably even though they just beat Utah, probably at below those other ones based on the first twenty games of the season. Do you you feel like they belong in the Phoenix Dallas tier? you know, with Portland and Golden State, or do you think they belong in the, the other tier? I think that's why we played the season, to be honest with you. I mean, I, um, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago, I would have said they're definitely in the second tier, and right. probably in the middle of the second tier. Now, I, you know, I, I just haven't seen enough tough SOB type of performances. I've seen winning in the fourth quarter. I've seen a great player putting this team on their back and and just enjoying the responsibility more so than he has in the past. Um, I, I'm seeing that the green pickup and the porter and the shooting is – I was worried early about the shooting, but now I'm not quite as worried, but I'm still not sold there a top 7, 10 shooting team in the NBA from the three-point line. You know, so you see different things. Uh, Malone, I think, is open. You know, he's more of an open-minded coach to trying to figure those things out more than some coaches. Um, I think Malone has been good in this state, this state of trying to, you know, stay positive, don't panic. Uh, but they, you know, they had to win some close games. You know, they close games on the road, even though, again, the factor on the road doesn't seem to be. I'm, I'm kind of. I don't know. I'm old school or just my whole life is based upon home and the road and, right. you know, your schedule. And there, there are moments where you're going to have good times and bad times. And there are other times you're going to be you're going to be playing good when your schedule's hard. And there are other times you're going to play in bad when your schedule's easy. And it tells you the wrong things sometimes. Uh, but I think they got to be happy with their past performances. Um and you know they have some they have some things that could be very positive, and, and but I still I'm still probably lingering that um, they need they need something else right now, and, you know. But don't get me wrong, I I can probably tell you twenty teams that can probably right. need something else right now. So, um, and, and and what's funny is for me it's hard to actually study it because the schedule goes till what March fourth, right. And you can't look past that, even though that's basically going to be, you know, a little bit more than two thirds or probably 60% of the season, but you'll still have 40% of the season. And we don't even know what the schedule is. Right. And, you know, and we know it's going to be unbalanced. It's got to be unbalanced some way. So sometimes you know, I, I think they've kind of made me feel pretty good that they're going to be in the top four, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to go to Vegas and bet on that yet. <laughs> um, I want to pull on a thread. You just, something you just said there, which was that Michael Malone is more open. I don't remember the exact word you said, but more, you know, willing to try things, experiment, what have you. One of the perceptions from fans, I don't think this is a perception from analysts, but from one of the perceptions from fans is that he can be overly rigid about certain things. And I think this stems mostly from, you know, playing rookies or Michael Porter more minutes or this, things fans always are clamoring for. But do you 
In what ways is Michael Malone, in, in your opinion, a out-of-the-box or flexible coach in, in that way that you're referring? I think he likes his bench. I think he trusts his bench, and he goes to his bench quicker than probably most the coaches. Uh, he has no problem finishing and changing the finishing lineup. Uh, a lot of coaches don't do that almost at all. Uh, but, you know, if Monte, Monte Morris – if he's going well, he'll he'll finish the game. He's done the same thing with those there. And uh, you know, Porter Jr. doesn't start, but he's he's definitely going to finish a lot of games when he's making shots. And he's got to learn the other times how he can keep himself on the court by doing some other things. And I think he's learning that a little bit. His rebounding is impressive. Um you know, the, the shot selection, which bothered me earlier in the season, hasn't given, gotten to me as much lately in the games they've played. It seems like there's more connection rather than my turn, basketball. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, I, I just don't think their schedule has punched them that hard. In fact, the schedule's probably been nice to them. And overreacting to the first 20 games where, yeah, they're a game or two from that top echelon, but there's about eight teams a game or two right around them. Right, right. You know, so, you know, a five-game losing streak can take you from fourth to twelfth. Right, right. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I'm a little worried that what I see in the league is when a player gets hurt, it has a seemingly more effect uh, on the teams. Like, you know, I never thought Miami would be playing as poorly as they're playing right now because of, right. you know, uh, you know I, I never, I mean, it's like Phoenix. I liked the way Phoenix looked, but Booker out of the lineup, they're not, they don't scare, they don't scare you. I mean, they can, they play the right way. They play hard. They still got Chris Paul. The big kid's going to be fine, but their lineup doesn't scare you without Booker in the lineup. Right. And Butler, not in Miami's lineup, obviously isn't scaring anybody there either. Yeah. Is it the, because the home court doesn't lift the home team as much? I think that's going to become more of a factor than I think we think it is. I think, that, you know, I've talked to at least a half a dozen coaches in the league that say it's I'd rather play on the road than I'd play at home. Interesting. You know, and that's... What are, what are the reasons you would rather? Because I would get saying it doesn't make a difference, but why would you rather right now? The thing I, that I brings to my mind is at home, there's more distractions. At home, you have other assignments other than coaching basketball and playing basketball. Gotcha. At home, you, you know, you got to go to your daughter's uh, piano recital. You got to do something. There's other things that can become distracting. And also, you know, I, on the road, from what I get told by a couple guys, I talked to Coach Casey last night. And, you know, they're basically in quarantine. Right. You know, basically, they can't, you know, they can't do anything. They get their hotel food and they go back to their room. They can't even, I mean, sometimes they're not even eating together. So, I mean, it's just a, I mean, the whole, I don't know how to define it. I, I use the word crazy, but it's not crazy. But they're, you know, what's funny, it kind of reminds me of when I coached in the CBA. And there was all types of things that would happen in the CBA. You'd be on a road trip and a game would be canceled. Or, you know, you'd be on a road trip and you couldn't get into, you know, you couldn't get into, uh, you know, Rockford in Illinois because of a snowstorm. and. I mean, you had more chaos, right? Um, and the and the mature, focused, disciplined team kind of had an advantage. But also, what I see in the league a little bit is kind of what I saw in the bubble: is that a lot of young guys are playing better because they don't have the road game pressure. Uh, you know, so they shoot the ball better, and when the crowd's not into them, and the interaction of, of playing on the road without the, as many momentum swings in a game. I, mean, it, it, I think it opens up uh, the, the, the cocky young player maybe has more opportunity to play better. Mm. Uh, 
but in the same sense, you know, I think somewhere along the way in this year, and I don't even know what even the proposal is, is are we going to have fans in the building? I know there are some people, Utah has some people in the building, Atlanta has some people in the building last night. Um, but will that fan base be enough to feel like it's a home court? Right, right. I'm really curious to see that. And I mean, I think just the world at large over the next couple of months, it's hard to even predict what the world looks like and the vaccine rollout, the speed of all of that. So certainly a, a variable that I don't know that everybody has considered because we have been in this pandemic now for a year and, and it just feels like nothing has changed. But, you know, I want to go back to what you said about Michael Porter fitting into the flow a little bit better since he's returned, taking fewer of the sort of selfish shots or, you know, where he zeroes in on the basket, you feel there, there's been fewer. Do you feel like, you know, sitting out for 10 games or whatever it was having to observe and then having to fit in has had a positive impact on him. Now, now he's the team has established itself and its identity a little bit that he has to fit into as opposed to the start of the season where it was, we all have to find our identity. That is, you know, that of which he's a big part. Um, you know, I give Michael Porter Jr. a pretty good grade for how he's handled these two years. Uh, injuries, then not playing a lot last year, in and out, and then having a good bubble. And then coming back this year and kind of hitting another hurdle or two that I think could have frustrated him. And he doesn't seem like he loses his uh, focus. Right. You know? I think he knows he's got to learn the game better than he's learned. He's playing it now. He's very confident, maybe to the point of cocky, uh, that he's good enough to be a special player in this league. But I think that I think it's I think it's important. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just make a generalization of the league itself is giving opportunity to a lot of young kids in the league today that they have not earned. Michael Porter is earning. I think his respect in the league. And I, in the end, I think that'll be good for everybody. It'll be good for the nuggets. It'll be good for him. And it'll be good for his connection in the, in the locker room where if there is a resentment of it being given, mm. I think that resentment is a little more dangerous because I'm a coach than personnel. People look at it, you know, they can, they can always say we can get another coach, but, I like how Porter Jr. has handled these last, especially this beginning of this year. Um, and I, I, I actually get a good feeling that I think he's learning. I think he's, he's understanding that he's got to be better in certain areas. Is the next step for him more of the same, meaning more patience? This isn't, okay, you've handled this well to this point. Let's start to run more plays for you or play you more minutes or moving to the starter, but just more, hey, whatever opportunities present itself, we're just going to play it slow, and this is a very long-term outlook. Oh, you know, I mentioned in our last conversation, I believe I said that I thought he should be moved in the starting lineup sooner or later. Sure. Um, I, I, I probably do that more based upon, you know, it's time to, you know, you, there's a certain point in time that playing the old veteran guy that makes it work better Right. Versus your most talented players. You know, I, there are times it's conflicted. Right. I don't think it's that conflictive anymore. I think it's now time. And I think Malone's got to figure that out. Does he want to do it now? Does he want to do it two months from now? Does he want to do it the last 15 games of the season? Just to figure out how to get the minutes. And I, I still think coming off the bench is not a bad place for Michael Porter Jr. But you know, he is, he is one of their top five talents and mentally, I think he's doing his job, working hard, maturing at a good rate. So is the reward of starting lineup a month from now, or is it, Hey, Michael, you're going to be six man a year. This is what we're going to go for this year. You're not, right. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let it go. We're going to get you up to 30, maybe a little bit more than 30 minutes a game, but it's still going to come from the bench. All right. 
Uh, this is the Keeping It 1000 podcast, of course, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't forget, use promo code DNVR uh, when you sign up. Also, guys, rate and leave a, read, uh, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out uh, the Fantastic Truth and Basketball podcast with Coach Carl, where he talks about his entire career, the entire game of basketball, really, that does, spans more than just the Denver Nuggets, but touches on the Denver Nuggets quite frequently. And then, of course, the DNVR Nuggets podcast one of the top things I wanted to ask hey, you. Adam, I got one for you. Oh, tomorrow, you got one? Tomorrow, guess who we got on the podcast? Well, now I think I know this one because, I, because I've been told, so I'm not going to guess, but go ahead and share it. It's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting to me. I mean, Julius Irving's going to be on. We're going to talk ABA basketball. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about NBA, but I, I want to talk a lot of ABA. Well, yeah, it's one thing I haven't done on my podcast. I've not gone back and kissed the ring of the ABA and – I tell I tell the story all the time because I think the way the NBA is played right now looks like an ABA day. Right. It looks like an ABA game. I mean, we had guys that used to shoot twenty threes in one game. Right. And uh, you know, we all thought it was crazy, but after about forty years, we've evolved into maybe we were probably treading the right way. The ABA is so fascinating to me because obviously it predates my existence. I mean, it ended well before I was even born, but. Just the idea of it, and 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 all of the stories, you know, and then of uh, of course our own, you know, Doug Moe and, and some of the the stories surrounding it, just so fun, creative, interesting, and I think things that it's hard to read or find stories about the ABA. And so anytime I get a chance to hear about it, it's always it's always a huge plus. So that's going to be I'll tweet out the link I'm sure tomorrow as it comes out. But I can't that that's when I really it's can't. not coming out tomorrow. It's being we're, we're, we're oh, recording. recording tomorrow, so it'll probably be. Week or two. The last song we did was with Ron Adams, who's one of the great assistant coaches in the NBA. And Ron and I have been friends well, since I've been in my early 30s. He was the first guy I actually asked to become my assistant coach when I got the job in Cleveland. And he turned me down back then because he was going to become the head coach at Fresno. Uh, but Ron, Ron has a great philosophy. If anybody wants to kind of get an assistant coach look at the league, Ron's really good. Fantastic stuff. Truth and basketball podcast. You're going to want to check it out. Um, all right. So I want to ask you about Jokic. He's won two player of the week awards in a row. I, I, it's, it's nice to see him being recognized because it was a slow build for him. And I think it was a good, you talk about Michael Porter and the patience of things had to go through a certain order. I think when players receive too much hype early on, the criticism whenever they fail can swing too far the other way. I think we're seeing this with Luka Doncic a little bit. Fantastic young player. Maybe got too much praise early. Now he's getting too much criticism early. Jokic has reached that sweet spot where I think he flew under the radar so long that people are starting to come to appreciate just what he's doing this year, which is, in my opinion, some not just the best basketball of his career, but I think raising the expectations of what people thought his ceiling could be. I think people had a cap on his ceiling of, okay, he's a really nice player, but you know, he's not a, he's not a hall of famer. He's not a top. He's playing like a guy, in my opinion, and I'm curious your thoughts. He's playing like a guy that is making people realize he's not just another good player. He might be special when we look at the era. Am I going too far with that? Uh I think you're going a little too far because of the value of the big man. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think if, if Jokic would be playing this 10 years ago, yeah. I mean, Jokic should be called, you know, the Chris Webbers and the Lottie Divaches and, you know, the great passing centers, the guys that the game played through, through big guys. Um, they they were loved. They were given a lot of love, and and I think a lot of that was because you know the big man was more important than anybody on the court. Everybody had to have a big guy. Today's game is everybody's got to have a LeBron James. Everybody's got to have a, a guard that can make things happen. You know, you need a player out there that can get a triple double on any given night that they play. And big guys usually don't fall in that category, but Jokic does. And I, you know, I've always said that you don't need big men in a lot of NBA games. Mm. You don't need the big men in a lot of NBA games. But what you do need is players. Right. And the best player in an NBA game is a big man that can be a playmaker, that can be that can play multiple positions, that can can play the game and flow and rhythm and create it for 
his teammates. And that's what you got with Jokic. I mean, Jokic is by far their number one playmaker on their team. And I think what's wonderful about it is he loves that responsibility and the players respect that responsibility. Right. There's not much jealousy. No one, no one on that team thinks they're even close to Jokic in a playmaking role. Right. Uh, and, and so they give him the ball when it's close. They give him the ball when it's, you know, when they want to get a basket, they give it to him because they'll back cut or come off him hard or spot up right. The ball's delivered on time, on target. And he's a, mar- he's a marvelous player. I mean, the basketball fan at Denver has got to really be happy right now because that kid is, you know, in a game that's being sped up, the game is being played faster than ever. The pace of the game has gotten going to more athletic speed and jumpers, length, everything that Jokic isn't. Right. And he's he's finding stardom in the in the game that is so much more athletic than it's ever been. So many young kids out there trying to learn how to play the game the right way. This guy plays in slow motion. He never gets he never gets rushed. He makes great. I mean, he's actually turning the ball over more. And I think it's good because he's going to get better at it. I think in the end, you know, instead of having five or six turnovers a game, he'll get down to three, maybe four. But his decisions, the vast majority of his decisions are effective, efficient, and effortlessly. And, I mean, this guy doesn't exist in the NBA. Right. And you, you mentioned Luca, and he's kind of the same way. You know, he doesn't play fast. Right. He kind of plays with a rhythm, a flow, a knowledge. Uh, um, and, I, you know, the thing that both of them got to realize is that every coach out there and every player out there is trying to figure out how to cover this guy. I mean, as much as they have to continue to get better, uh, I think the mental part of their game is something that Jokic has added this year. Mm his mental toughness to be the star. Right. I mean, last year we saw games where you could see he was rejecting the responsibility. Love this. You don't see that very much anymore. I mean, how many times is he coming out and getting 15 in the first quarter? I mean, as a coach, that's a fun thing to have in your back pocket when your best player is there and you know you can pull back a little bit, but if you need to put the put the, put the pedal down, you can put the pedal down too. I kind of want you to speak more to this because I this is such a fantastic point with Jokic this year is we've all known for years that he was capable of scoring 20 points in a quarter or going off it for 40 points. We knew he's capable of it. It just felt like he always wanted to make the right play, but the least favorite play that he liked to make was the scoring play, going to that well over. This year, it really does seem like finally he doesn't care. If you're going to put a smaller guy on him, if you're going to for, you know cover the perimeter, then he's going to attack you. And to me, that is a mental thing. It's it's not just a taking what the defense gives you. It's a mental thing that says if you're going to do this, I'm going to I'm I'm going to kick down the door and run through it and get 20 points. And he's done that so frequently this year. And not once has he not done that. I think more important than doing it is he's never not done that. He's never had a game with two shots or five shots or whatever. And to me, that is a big mental change. And I'm just curious for for me as somebody that never played the game at a high level like that. It seems like, well, why wouldn't he always do that? But players do struggle with this development curve. And I'm just curious what insight you have to a young player finally accepting that responsibility. Well, my analysis is totally different than your analysis from because from a standpoint is Jokic, I think, respects how hard it is to score points in the NBA. Yep. And young players come into the league, they think they're going to be scorers. And they about 90% of them learn what they got to figure out how to be in this league because of another reason, because they're not good enough. Right. Yep. And what you see most of the time with young players who try to be scorers early in their career is a burnout. They, they hit a wall, they get cut, they get traded, or they fail. And they got, they got to come back in a different personality. Jokic has made small steps to be more efficient as a scorer because he doesn't like to be an ineffective scorer because he doesn't like to he doesn't like to hurt the team if he's not playing well 
And as a as a role player, that's cool. Right. But as your most talented player on the court, it, it gets frustrating when you, a coach needs you to do more and you can't get him to do more. So he's kind of done it totally different than 90% of the league does. He has become a scorer by learning the little intricacies of the game in the manner that he likes to play the game. And that is, it's unusual. I mean, usually the guy that, you know, like, you know, like the Wiseman kid in, in, in Golden State, I mean, he's going to be a good player. Right. He's got a lot of skills. But big guys usually force it and fail. And then they got to learn again, and they force it again and fail. Jokic's kind of slow danced it into being every year he's gotten a little bit better, and this year he's blown up. I'm going to start stealing the uh, slow danced it because I just think that's a great way to kind of describe his his growth as a scorer. He slow danced his his rise as a scorer. But 27 points per game right now. I just that number might rise. I mean, he just had 47. He's been on a bit of a hot streak scoring. It might not. It might. It might not fall. I don't know. But I wouldn't have guessed. There's no way you could have got me to guess he would score 27 points per game this deep into the season because I, because of your very point. I mean, I think the most he's ever averaged is 20, and this year he just seems so much more comfortable taking it at defenders. And to that point, this last game against Utah on Sunday, Coach Quinn Snyder, who I think is a fantastic coach, tried something out, something completely new. He put Bogdanovich on Jokic to start the game. And I, the idea, I think, is Rudy Gobert's a great shot blocker. Jokic has really had his way with Gobert in, in, in over the last couple seasons. Gobert makes it hard for him, but Jokic can overcome it. And I think he was thinking, okay, let's try something out, something different. Jokic had one, his best scoring game of his career. Absolutely destroyed that strategy. They tried Derek Favors on him. They tried different, different defensive options on him. And I'm just curious what you think, first of all, about that strategy, but also about the idea of a coach saying, we might be able to beat this team because we're on an 11 game win streak, but it's the regular season and we need to get some data points for the playoffs or, or down the line and trying something that seems pretty wild, putting a much smaller guy on Jokic. Well, you know, I think the one question I get asked a lot by coaches that come to town and they ask me, well, how would I cover Jokic? And I don't have a, a definitive answer other than what, a coach Snyder Snyder did, I kind of believe is a way I might go. If my team is playing well offensively mm-hmm. and I have a good rhythm, I, I have no problem giving you a two-point offensive efficiency if I'm playing at a high level of what I would call flow efficiency. Uh, two, two points, you get lesser possessions, Two points, you efficiency. You know, if it's over one, you're 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 a high echelon. As where if you play in flow, it goes over one pretty quick. So, um, I think you got to mix it up on them. Uh, the three ball value in the league has gone off the charts. Coaches are searching for ways to try to figure out how to keep the three ball out of the game. Right and. Double teaming, Jokic gives him the three ball. Him playing pick and pop with handbacks gives him the three ball. Gives his team a three ball. As where if you put a little guy on him, you're probably going to post him up. Probably going to put him in the paint and try to get the, the easy two. So, you know, there's, there's a give and take. And I think you're right that if you look at Quinn, Snyder, and, and the Nuggets and, and Malone, I think the Nuggets think they're better than Utah. I think that that's the one team right now that if they had a seven-game match, I think I think everybody in Denver would feel good about that matchup, even though it, it probably could be a hell of a series. Right. You know, the Bogdanovich part of Utah, I don't think he's playing that great, but since he and Conley have kind of gotten into this this season at a better place than they were last year, uh, their their statistics in the fourth quarter were, I read somewhere they didn't they didn't they they won ten games without it having a fourth quarter deficit. Right, right, yep. I mean, think about that. That's that's powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so curious though, just about you know, 
the idea of coaches trying things out in the regular season, and I think I've asked you this before, but this game really kind of brought it to the forefront of just how much a coach is willing to lower their overall odds of winning an individual game at the expense of, you know, obviously not punting a game. They weren't trying to lose that game. They were just trying a strategy that was unproven. And it might have cost them that specific game in hindsight. But I'm just curious how much coaches are willing to do that and how much they should do that in the regular season. Well, you know, um, you know, when we when we knew we were a good team, we started studying our matchups for the playoffs, you know, 20, 25 games Mm. before the end of the season. I mean, you had. You know, I would assign one of my top three assistants to every team that we could play in the first round. And they always had an assistant to do their scouting and their video work and all that. You're aware of the guys that you think are better than you. And you're aware of the guys that you think your team thinks they're better than. And... You know, when you're expected to maybe be a conference finalist, you start thinking about that stuff probably earlier than you do when you're just trying to be a playoff team. Take a quick break to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook, the presenting sponsor of the show. The 55th big game is this weekend, 55. A game this big deserves a big prize, not just some trophy. To finish off the football season, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all players a no-brainer of an offer. To celebrate football's finale, DraftKings Sportsbook is doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in the big game. That's right. All it takes is for one touchdown to be scored Sunday night, and boom, your money is doubled. Sounds like a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer. As if this game wasn't enough reason to party. (laughs) With double the cash, you'll be celebrating till next season. Don't forget about DraftKings Big Game Prediction Challenge with up to $55 million in total prizes up for grabs and instant prizes for everyone who enters the contest. So as soon as you enter, you get an instant prize. You find out what it is. Big prize, little prize, you find out. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR to get a shot at doubling your money if a touchdown is scored this Sunday's game. That's promo code DNVR to get a shot at doubling your money during Sunday night's season finale. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Do you think the Nuggets have any kind of psychological edge over the Utah Jazz, being that they've beat them so many times over the last two years, including regular season, beating them in that 3-1 con- uh, comeback? But more specifically, Rudy Gobert is such a big part of their defense and their defensive identity. And Jokic just being able to sort of break that, that aspect of it. Do you think that part gives a psychological edge to the coaching staff and players when they don't have as much confidence in the guy they have confidence in against 28, 29 other teams? Of course. There's no question the psychological of demoting a guy that most of your year you're playing as your, probably not your best player, but your second or third best player. And you're demoting him to being, we got to figure out your role. Right. We don't know how you fit. Right. That's a lot of lot of junk. A lot of junk from the standpoint of team, but also for Rudy Gobert to understand that this is going to be a series that hey, if you do 10 and 10, you're not going to touch the ball much. You're probably not going to play as many minutes. I don't know. That's that conversation is difficult. Yeah. And it's also there it has a presence to it. Um uh, and, and as I said, I mean, I think Denver right now has the psychological advantage over Utah. That, you know, be honest with you, I, I hated talking that way because, right. you know, because I think if they play him in the playoffs, that once that series starts, what happened in the past is in the past, and you better stay focused on the now. And, um, and I think a lot of, if Utah would come down to playing Denver, it would become a, Kind of an angry series. I think you're going to see, you you would see, I think, a little more physicality. And I think you'd see a little more urgency from both sides. I like an angry series. I, I would sign I up. I too. I haven't seen one of them in a long time. But I'm with you. I do think the more you see the same back-to-back, the more they're 
contentious and competitive, the more you get that kind of thing. So it would, I think it'd be a real win for the NBA. If you, if you saw a Utah Denver matchup, um, somebody asked me this week, or actually I should say they didn't ask me. Somebody put this out on Twitter that, and, and I just have to push back and I don't know. I don't mean to put you, actually I do mean to put you in an uncomfortable spot. Somebody compared DeMarcus yeah. Cousins at his peak to Nikola Jokic playing at the level he is right now, which I think is at Jokic's peak to date at least. And I thought it was absurd personally. I think Jokic is for the skill set, whatever. They're both incredibly talented, but the impact Jokic has night in and night out is not comparable. And I'm curious as somebody that gets to watch Jokic up close and somebody who coached DeMarcus Cousins, how you would compare those two. I'm on your side on this one. I mean, that's that's a sad comparison. Whoever brought that comparison to the table doesn't understand negative energy and the forces of losing. And uh, a player that has had a history of being a, a heavy weight on his team most of his career, compared to a player like Jokic who has lifted, you know, a team that was struggling to make the playoffs into now a team that has a chance maybe to be a championship contender. And that comparison, you know, skill-wise, I can see your comparison. DeMarcus is a good shooter. DeMarcus can score big numbers. DeMarcus has great hands. But the, the, the negative energy that DeMarcus brings to a game almost on a daily basis doesn't even exist in Jokic's. Jokic is a positive energy guy. He's lifting guys up. He's making average players good. He's making good players special. I mean, it's... I mean, that energy with DeMarcus, DeMarcus didn't like sharing the spotlight. You know, and, you know, and, and Jokic loves sharing the spotlight. I mean, there's so many intangibles in the sport. It's making me throw up, to be honest with you. I mean, I can't even believe I'm talking about it. <laughs> is, it is, it just the, is it just the willingness to share the spotlight and this or that? Is it also maybe a basketball feel? component of this as well i mean one of the things i think that we it's it's an intangible but i think it's it's there's something tangible about the way Jokic feels the game and just rarely misses a read on the offensive end that i feel like that's a real skill set like shooting like this and even if you say their skills are comparable that is one skill that to me there's maybe four players in the NBA that are comparable to Jokic in that. They're your LeBrons and Chris Pauls and your high-level guys that see the court. And to me, that's that's a skill. That's one of the things that separates them, not just attitude. Well, I think what you're seeing in the game, and Jokic is a good, good example of it, is the bigger player has the ability to throw the ball above the defense yeah. and over the top of the defense. I think we've talked about this in the past a little bit, but that's why LeBron is – becoming the ball in a bigger man's hands actually has more playmaking and assets as where a little guard has got to create them by making space and creating speed and, and getting into, into the open space by, by being clever. But just being big sometimes, if you know, like just say now in our game, you're running the handoff game or the pick and roll game where they're switching. You know, there are a lot of times there's six, six guys covering Jokic. And right. he loves that. He just right. he just looks down and says, "Okay, I can." Where, where's the where's the open guy? And um, so I think uh, I think the tendency right now, I actually talked about it a little bit with some coaches in the league about you know the the, the, the quick little guards back in the game. He's he's really important to the game now more so than twenty years ago. But I think we're searching. I think teams are searching a little bit more for. Luca, Giannis, LeBron, Jokic, you know, bigger guards that right. can kind of pass over the defense and that their passing opportunities aren't taken out by a good defender. Right. I Something just popped in my head as you were talking and I wanted to go back because you, back to our conversation, we were talking about Utah, but you mentioned that you would exchange the two-point game for the flow game because that incorporates a lot of drive and kick out. You're getting threes when you're doing that. Jokic had an interesting quote after the game when asked about Bogdanovich, and he said, you know, I like to post up little guys, but even more, I like to take them out and pick and roll because those guys aren't used to playing the five and pick and roll. And so to that point, it seems like Jokic has an understanding too of 
we can't just do the two versus three offense or the two versus flow offense. We also have to play some regular flow basketball, knowing that Bogdanovich has never had to step out on screens and recover the same way that against the five, the same way he has against fours. So I'm just kind of curious what you thought about that comment. Well, I think he's a, he's a, he's a head of the game thinker is what you're defining. And to me, you know, an example of the osmosis of coaching in the NBA is the game was a long time set plays and matchups. And, and now it's today's game. There are a lot of coaches and I think I was one of them. And, you know, most uh, the way to me, it's not what's happening in the game as much as who has the rhythm and the flow of the game and how you sustain flow basketball. I mean, you're watching games like Washington having a 48-point quarter. That is tremendous flow. You're seeing Denver go 15 for 17 from the three-point line. They are in basketball flow, and it's hard to cover that. You know, there's no concepts in flow. There's no necessarily defensive schemes because you're just you're playing, you're reacting to the game, and the ball just goes where it naturally goes. Right. And I think that game is much better and much more effective than the coach on the sidelines calling all the play game. Right, right. And I've always felt that way. Right. You know, I've you know I've always been outside the box in that fight. But in the same sense. The thing that Jokic does really well, and Murray's good at it also, and Denver over the last couple of years has been very good, is win the fourth quarter. You know, the fourth quarter is kind of like a playoff game. It's not necessarily always going to be fast. Um, but you got to learn score. Score and clock becomes a little more important. And in, in, in certain situations, you want clock more than you want flow. Right, right. I want to I ask you about, you know, Gary Harris and P.J. Dozier are now out of the lineup. It looks like perhaps for a, a little bit of an extended time. Um, do you, how, if you were coaching the Nuggets, or how do you feel the Nuggets need to adjust now? What players move up in the rotation? Are there players you'd like to experiment on the back half? Maybe some of the rookies or younger players, now you, you rotate them in. I mean, how would you handle having two of your defensive guards out of the rotation? Well, you know, I, I think I'm an advocate of finding more out about the point guard, the kid, the young kid from Argentina. That'd be in my thought, thought process. Uh, I like Monte in the game. Monte's having a good year. Um, and then, then the experiment of, do you want to experiment with Porter Jr.? So there's all types of things on that table for me. Um And I think that this just tells you that you got to play Porter Jr. over 30 minutes is kind of where I'm sitting with it. I'm a little leery that Jokic and Murray are playing a lot of minutes. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's a factor yet. But the one thing that would scare me with, with is kind of what we talked about earlier is Jokic being out for two or three weeks could be devastating. So – what about the starting lineup before we, the game got cans postponed, obviously on Monday, but it came out that Malone had made his decision. He was going to move Monte Morris into the starting lineup, meaning Porter would still come off the bench. Barton would still be at small forward. If, if uh, assuming again, Dozier and Harris are out, I, I kind of get the sense that they'll be out for a couple, you know, another week at least. Is that how you would do things? Is what is the plus and minus of moving Porter in or keeping him off the bench at this moment? Uh, again, the starting line means nothing to me. I mean, I'm I'm probably worse than Mike Malone. I mean, I have no idea why we have a starting line. You know, he feels the same way. I mean, he's he is done answering questions about it. I, under, I totally understand it. At the same time, I know fans fans care about it, whether whether a coach does or does not. You know, the only thing I promise I'd make to Michael Porter is, say, hey, you know, with with these two guys out, you got to play more minutes. And you got to be more. Re you got to be ready to play more minutes. Right. You know, and and again, if you're average, I don't know what he's average. He's probably averaging around twenty five. Something like that. Yeah. That's going to get closer to thirty five in the next two or three weeks, probably. Right. Right. What is it about playing rookies that's so tough for a coach? 
I mean, so many coaches, and I saw the stat come out. Zeke Naji, who was taken in the first round, he has the fewest minutes played of any rookies this season from the first round. So I thought that was interesting. Of course, Denver has a deep team, but coaches in general seem to just be very averse to playing rookies unless they absolutely have to. What? Why is that? Do you think we're adverse to playing them? Or do you think they're good? You, you, that, that's, uh, you get, thank you. Thank you. for I, My apologies. You're right. They, they have a hard time getting on the court for whatever reason. Uh, most of the reason is they make mistakes. Right. Most of the reason is, as I've said a hundred times in my halftime talks, is stupid loses more games than smart has ever won. Man, I love that. And so the, you're playing a guy or a young athlete or a talented player. Yeah, he looks good. Oh, God, you can't believe he did that. And there's just too much mistakes or what I call easy basketball plays that don't get done sometimes because of the experience of not being a veteran player or just being taken advantage of by a veteran player knowing more than you do on the court. Stupid loses more games than smart wins. Ten times more games. Ten, ten times more games. All right, another great Georgism. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to steal to get out of here, I want to start a new segment on the show, the Keeping It 1000 podcast, because I know myself and so many Nuggets fans just really look back fondly at, at the you know near decade of basketball you were here in Denver and, some of, and so many of the different players that came through. So I want to every week spend just a couple minutes closing out the show talking about one of those players and your experience with them, kind of walking down memory lane here. And I told you this the other day, one of my favorites, I knew at some point we were going to have to t- have an in-depth conversation about him, but Andre Miller... And if I recall correctly, he was a player that you, you know, you had, you were pretty vocally fond of. I think I remember at one point in time, you saying you thought he was a top 10 point guard of all time, a true point guard or this or that. Now this was before the era of point guards where there's so many now, but what can you tell me about him and what made him special and maybe what made, drew you to him so much coaching him? Well, the connection with Andre started back with the Rick Majerus. Andre was recruited out of California. Uh, Rick loved him. Uh, I remember first time I saw Andre, he was kind of over, uh, he was a little overweight. Rick wanted me to talk to him about getting in better shape. He looked like a kind of a linebacker playing point guard. But his instincts to play the game are off the charts. He plays, you know, he plays like a point guard. I, The point guard that I want, he plays that way. You know, he he wants to orchestrate and direct. And then if, it, if the game says you got to score, you score. Uh, but the more he is making other people have great games as much as you having a great game. Today's game, the NBA has opened up the point guard to be a scoring position. Right. Because the referees can't touch the players. So it's self-explanatory why that's happening. But having a guy that makes the game easy for everybody and has a pride that it's not talent that wins all the time in basketball. It is togetherness and and basketball IQ. And that's Andre. The one story I always like to tell about Andre is every September when our gym was filled with NBA players, and usually we had 10 or 12 guys and, There might be another six or seven hanging around the gym. And at 11 o'clock, all of a sudden, everybody started playing games. And Andre, once a year, would walk in the gym and tell every one of his teammates, okay, I'm taking this guy from from Europe. I'm going to take this G League guy, and I'm going to kick your ass. And we're going to win every game we play. And he would do it. Yeah, (laughs) I saw him do it three seasons in a row where he would just go out on the pride of the game after I'm sure he had his favorites. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure he had, but you know, he didn't have to play with the best players to win games. He knew that in a, a game to 11, that it's how smart you are, how much together you are, how much defense you're going to play because it's a short game. So, you know, moment, there's some momentum in an 11, a point game, but not a lot of momentum. You got to play the game the right way and playing the game the right way is what Andre's forte was. 
How much do coaches watch those scrimmages the, the beforehand? Is there low, largely you stay out of that or you watch them behind the glass or are you up front watching everybody play? You know, I didn't always watch um, a lot of it. I always liked to watch some of it. You know, I didn't want the guys to think I was spying on them. You know, I was in the gym and camaraderie. And, um, but there's a lot of fun in, in September because there's the stresses. You know, fortunately, most of the years here, we had a pretty good team. And yeah. We're trying to figure out how to be a little bit better. And so September is get in shape, do the things the right way, do some ego management and attitude adjustments from what happened last year and getting guys and new guys to fit in and camaraderie and all that. But September is fun. And Andre made it fun because Andre Taxon, Andre had a, I don't know if people ever listen to Andre's voice. He has this high-pitched very, voice. Very, very high-pitched voice, yeah. And he loves to talk trash. I mean, <laughs> he loves, he loves to talk. He, he talks good stuff. And and what and he's talking what coaches talk, you know. He's right. saying things that coaches say. Oh, so he's not just picking out the like, I'm gonna hit this in, in your eye. He's poking out, hey, you don't know how to rotate or you don't know how to is, I mean, is it stuff like this, like yeah, it's, too much. it's the little things that, <laughs> hey, we can always get a wide open three because this guy's never going to cover this guy. Right. You know, so he knew at the end of the game how to win the game before. Right. Right. And you have to remember, when I came here, I came here in January, middle of January. And after like two games, you know, I wasn't coaching the offense. I was coaching the team. And he was running the offense. He was running plays I never heard of before. And, you know, we went 32 and eight. So I got to give him some cred uh, because, you know, he knew the playbook a hell of a lot better than I knew the playbook. Right, right. And that's why it worked. I mean, yeah. he just understands the game. And when, you know, when Kenyon Martin's in the game, you're going to run certain things. And when Marcus Camby's in the game, you're going to run other things. Instead of I have to explain that or show my personality, which might take a month, Andre already had it in his pocket. And that's that's the stuff that I'm talking about. And the, and the bottom line, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but when we made the Allen Iverson trade, I begged, I begged the front office to keep Andre. Mm. I wanted Andre in that deal because I think Andre with AI together, it would have figured its way out. Man, that would have been fun and tough. Just mentally, you know. That's the thing about people about Andre that maybe people didn't rhyme. I mean, he was a real tough dude, I think personally, but as a basketball player, mentally tough too. That you put two guys that are just going to give it their all. Andre Miller played at least two weeks, maybe three weeks, where he couldn't lift his arm above his head. <laughs> he had a separated shoulder. I come into the dime. We were in a game, and I come in, and Jim Gillen walks in and goes, George, Andre's probably going to be out two or three weeks. And I go, really? And, you know, so I go back and sit down with Andre. And I, and I, I, I thought he, I thought he knew. Right. He says, coach, I'm playing tonight. And I mean, he barely could shoot a free throw without pain, but he could still play. And no one knew it. No one, you know, everybody thought he was fine, but he went a long time. It was at least two weeks. Basically, the other team should have realized you should let him wide open because he can't shoot. Right, right. Yeah, yeah you can't let that leak no sore right shoulder. <laughs> Otherwise, teams will sag off you, I guess, a little bit. He also, it seemed to me, was one of the guys that truly loved basketball. I mean, there's a lot of guys that like different aspects of basketball or different aspects of being an NBA player. But he played till I think he was 41 or 42. I mean, he really hung around the league for a really long time. And it seemed to me like he just didn't want to leave. Like, Hey, that any chance I get to play basketball is a good chance. And, and I'm going to keep it. Well, I think the one thing that Andre had difficulty with, and I, and I don't get me wrong. We all have this difficulty when you don't succeed in the playoffs in a seven game series, Andre's scouting report, you can limit limit a little bit of his skills, his abilities to get into the flow and the cracks. And when, you know, he's he has some dominance, like he's right-handed dominant, even though he's good going left, he's much better going right. And there's things that in a seven-game series, you can magnify the scouting report on. 
And I really felt bad for him. I'm, I, I think he, I won a, he won a playoff series, I think, over Washington. And he finally won a playoff series, but he went a long time mm. not winning a playoff series. And I really felt bad for him because it, that's a bad, that's the wrong thing to be judged on. I mean, I mean, if he's taking a team that's a 25 win team to 35 wins, you got to respect that that's harder to do than maybe taking a, a 40 win team to 45 wins. Right. Right. Andre's always been one of my favorite players. I just, I love smart players. I love unselfish players. Uh, I love great passing. He, I mean, he brought together a lot of the things that I like the most. And it's funny that you spent so much of this talking about his trash talk and his ability. Cause one of my favorite memories, I've only gotten to sit courtside a few times and at the courtside, you sat courtside for 2000 different games. Maybe you almost take this for granted, but the game just moves at such a different pace when you're that close. And the, every hit is so much harder and jump is so much higher. And I'm sitting, this must've been Goran Dragic's rookie season or early on, he's playing for Houston and I remember the fourth quarter comes and they put Dragic on Andre Miller and he immediately starts talking to him and goes right by him for a bucket. And the next play, he starts talking as he dribbles it up, goes right by him for a bucket. And he just did that to him for five minutes straight and did not stop talking. And poor Goran Dragic wanted to be anywhere else in the world than on that basketball court at that moment. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this is a tough dude that knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that this guy can't guard him. And, and, was going to let him know about it every second and I it just I'll never forget that it's a little moment that I'm sure nobody else even can remember even Andre himself perhaps but um truly a, for me one of the one of the all-time favorites so um coach this was a great episode this was a lot of great insight it's 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 fun to talk about more positive things with the Nuggets which I think when they win six out of seven games it makes it a little bit a little bit more enjoyable to focus on some of those things but um thank you so much for taking the time this this was really really great Adam, it was a good week of basketball. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it on the positive side. I'm okay. I'm with that. A lot of great shows sounds like coming up, guys, on Truth and Basketball Podcast. You're going to want to make sure you subscribe to that one. You're going to want to make sure you subscribe to this one, leave a rating and review. And we're going to be back in a couple weeks talking Nuggets basketball. We'll see you all then.